0: Church family, the Christian life is a life of great contrasts. At times, it can be characterized by great blessings, at other times, by great trials. Sometimes our experience is an experience of rejoicing and at other times an experience of weeping. Sometimes we feel in our souls a strong encouragement spiritually and at other times we feel discouragement. But one of the greatest contrasts in the Christian life comes between those times that we describe as times of sweet communion with God and times of spiritual distance from God. Times when we feel the joy of our salvation, we feel close to God, and then... Times where, as our forefathers sometimes described it, we experience the winters of our soul. Times when spiritual coldness seems to settle over our spiritual lives like a cloud coming between us and the sun. The face of God, the favorable experience of God's presence that once shone down on us like the sun, now appears to be removed from our lives. If you are in a place like this, this afternoon, this beginning verses of the second half of Psalm 27 is particularly designed to encourage you to not give up in this trial of your faith, but to press on in the battle of the Christian life. As we look at these few verses, verse 7 through the beginning of verse 9, we see that it's actually preceded in the first six verses by a time in David's faith life where David is filled with strong encouragement in the Lord. He does admit, if you noticed in those first six verses, that there are trials in his life, there are troubles, there are, in fact, many enemies in his life experience, but David is confident that God will take him through them all. But then in verse 7, we see this remarkable contrast this remarkable change in David's life. The sun goes behind the clouds, where only recently he, like Peter, had walked on the waves of the trials of his life with his eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. Now his eyes are darting around, staring at the troubles and the trials of his life. And this is to such a degree in in David's experience that his confident confession of faith in God suddenly, drastically changes to a desperate cry of faith towards God. In verse 6, we read it. He says, Now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing. Yea, I will sing praises to the Lord. But then verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me, and answer me. Charles Spurgeon says about this verse that the the pendulum of spirituality, you think of a clock pendulum, swings here from praise to prayer. And this isn't an unfamiliar thing, is it? If you are a Christian, you can have this when An encouraging day of worship or an encouraging time of fellowship with others, other Christians, suddenly turns on Monday morning to a time of impatience, a time of self-centered stress. Or when you have times of sweet devotions with the Lord in the morning. But then as you enter the fray of the day, the temptations and the trials begin to bring you down. Or you may have a time of health and prosperity in your life where all is going well. But then the Lord quickly sometimes brings into our lives these sicknesses, these trials that make us feel like we're about to go under. Or we may have, have times of spiritual faithfulness to God and, and all seems to be going well, but then through our own laziness or through our, our own sin, it turns into a place of spiritual guilt spiritual distance from god and as we think about this movement from faith to fear in the christian life in our lives and also in david's life we can ask the question what was it in david's life what sometimes is it in our lives that moves us from this confidence in god to this place of fear If you look at those few verses, verse 7, 8, and 9, in light of other scripture passages, they tell us, at least somewhat conclusively, that David's sudden switch from faith to fear came at least in part from the presence of sin in his life. Verse 7, he he says, he fears that God will not hear him. A fear that in scripture normally comes from sin. In verse 9, he pleads that God will not hide his face or put him away in anger, two realities that are often closely tied to the presence of sin. In fact, John Calvin comments on this verse that the term anger here imports a tacit confession of sin, a confession of sin on David's part. Of course, we don't know. We don't know. We aren't told what David's sin was here. Was it perhaps sins from earlier in his life now rising up in his conscience and accusing him? In another psalm, he says this. He says, remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. Or was it maybe his daily sins, his bad habits that were bringing him down? In Psalm 119, he says to the Lord, remove from me the way you might Translate that, the habit, even the lifestyle, remove from me the way of lying, and grant me thy law graciously. Or maybe for David, it was failures in parenting. You look through the history books of, of David, concerning David, and it's pretty clear at the end of his life that David had some struggles in the realm of parenting. Or was it a, some specific sin, even a recent sin, a big sin? Something like his recent sin with Bathsheba. His murder of Uriah. We don't know. We aren't told the details. But whatever it was, it was most likely sin that was causing this distance in David's experience of God. But we need to notice something about how David reacts to his experience of distance from god how does he react notice he doesn't stay silent before god he doesn't stay face down in his sin he doesn't stay wallowing in the quicksand of the consequences of his sin like many of us he might have been tempted to doubt the mercy of god to doubt the goodness of god to doubt the willingness of god to forgive him But he doesn't give in to that temptation of the devil. Instead, he raises a desperate cry of faith to his heavenly Father. Look at verse 7. Hear, listen, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Now, why does David begin this way? Well, David knew, as we all ought to know, That when we sin against God, we are voiding our right for God to listen to us. God, according to the law, ought to turn a deaf ear to the cry of sinners. And so David begins. Lord, if I can paraphrase, would you please hear me when I cry? Don't turn a deaf ear to my cry. But then he continues. Have mercy also upon me. And answer me. So, not only hear me, not only stretch out your ear and hear me, but also answer me. You see, if if God had heard David but then had remained silent, this would have been an agony to David's heart. Why? Because David loved the Lord, David had a living relationship with God, the Lord was his friend. And so for the Lord not to answer David would have deeply troubled his soul. And this is a good example for us, isn't it? Sometimes we can go through times of spiritual coldness and we can simply get used to it. We we get used to the fact that we aren't close to God. But this should not be. The Christian should be pressed on in his heart, to do what David does here, to cry out to the Lord. This means that if right now in your life, your devotional times in the morning feel cold, or if in your prayers you you cry out to the Lord, but your prayers barely feel like they make it past the ceiling, as we say sometimes, that the heavens, to quote scripture, feel as brass over you, we shouldn't nonchalantly Sit there in our coldness. We ought to be impelled to cry out for God to help us. Look at how David responds. Look at how he responds. Hear, O Lord, when I cry out with my voice. You see, David is not whispering here. David isn't just nonchalantly addressing the Lord. He's crying out with his voice. And if you look at that word, In the original, this is a call. This is a shout. In fact, it's actually something of a summons. Not an authoritative summons to God, but a strong pleading to God. David is using volume here to speak to God because he cares about God hearing him. Let me give you an example, children, of of what this cry of David would have been like. Let's say... that that one evening you, while you were out camping with your parents, became lost in the woods. Now, you would be scared, wouldn't you, if you were lost in the woods, all by yourself. But what should you do? What would you do if you were lost in the woods? You would cry out for your parents. Or you ought to. And how should you cry? Quietly? Whispering? No, no. You should cry out with a loud voice for your parents to hear you. Mom! Dad! Help! I'm lost! Can somebody hear me? You cry out with a loud voice, and this is how it ought to be for Christians. When they feel themselves distant from God, spiritually lost in their hearts before God, they ought to cry out with a loud voice to God. The Lord loves to be cried out to with a loud voice. It honors him when we cry out to him like that. And we need to do also what David does here in verse 7. Not only call out for God to hear, but also call out for God to answer our prayer. We don't just want God to hear us. Yes, that is good. But we want God also to send an answer and reply. Children, think about that. Back to that example. You're lost in the forest. You cry out for your parents. Imagine they hear you, but they don't respond. How comforting would that be? Not at all. And so it is for the Christian. If he cries out to God, but he doesn't hear the voice of God speaking back to him, this is a hardship. We ought to desire the Lord to speak back to us, to speak to our hearts through the word of God, the comforting words of the gospel. Son, daughter, don't fear. I am here. And notice one other thing in this verse. David doesn't just say, hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice and answer me. He says, hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me have mercy also upon me and answer me you see david couldn't bear to receive a answer from god that was not thoroughly saturated with mercy if god sent david the reply that david ought to have had it would have been a reply that crushed his soul and so he cries out for the lord to answer him with mercy But maybe that raises the question for us. How how can David just take it upon himself to ask God to to, to give him mercy, to show him mercy, to answer him in mercy? Wasn't David a sinner? What right did David have? What right do we have to ask the Lord for mercy? The answer comes to us in that one word, in verse 7. Hear, O Lord. Hear, O Lord, hear Jehovah when I cry. Hear, O covenant-keeping God when I cry. You see, David's foundation as he cries out to God is the same foundation a child has towards his parent. Yes, as a child he had likely rebelled and disobeyed. But just as a child returns to his parents, so David here is crying out to his covenant-keeping God. The one who had made covenant with him from youth and who would not break covenant with him. In fact, it's remarkable. If you read through the psalm again after, you will notice that 13 times, 13 times, in 14 verses, David uses that covenant name, Lord. He begins the psalm with it. In fact, in the Hebrew, it's the very first word of the psalm The Lord is my light and my salvation. And he ends the psalm with it. Wait, I say, upon the Lord. David is is bookmarking and saturating everything in this situation with the covenant-keeping name of God. You see, David knew, just like we ought to know, that we are covenant breakers. We break covenant daily with the Lord. We do not love God as we ought and our neighbor as ourselves. And yet David knew that God was a covenant-keeping God. And what an encouragement for us today. No matter where we find ourselves, you know your own hearts. No matter what sin might be in our lives, no matter how stilted or shriveled up our hearts might feel spiritually, no matter how deep the winter of our soul and regards God, We are not to despair. We are not to give in to unbelief. The devil might come to our souls and say, hath God said, hath God said that he will forgive you given all the sins you've committed? Hath God said that if you go this many months or this many years far from God that he will receive you back into favor? Hath God said those words of First Thessalonians five twenty four that faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it? Hath God said those words in Psalm 103, that as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgression from us? Hath God said all these things? How are we to respond? Just like Luther did. When the devil comes knocking at the door, We are to send Christ with his finished work to the door to answer the devil. The devil has no accusations that he can bring against God's people because Christ has paid for them all. You might say that Satan loses his voice when Christ meets him and shows him everything he has done for his people. He grows quiet. He slinks away when he sees the pierced hands, the pierced feet, When he sees the love of the Lord Jesus Christ for his people shining out of his eyes. The devil has nothing to say. The mountains shall depart. And the hills be removed. But my kindness, my covenant faithfulness shall not depart from thee. Neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed. Saith the Lord that hath mercy on thee. So if we find ourselves this afternoon in a place of sin or a place of coldness towards God, we can cry out to the Lord, Lord, take reasons out of yourself to look upon me in favor, to hear me and answer me in favor. Look upon the face, as the psalm says it, look upon the face of your anointed, Jesus Christ, and have mercy, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And we must know, we must know this, that when we come to God with this kind of heart attitude, this is not a sign of damnation. This is the sign of a true child of God. A child, even who may have strayed a long ways, a straying sheep, but who is now returning into the favorable presence of his Lord. Charles Spurgeon says it very well. He says, Pharisees care not a fig for the Lord's hearing them so long as they are heard of men or charm their own pride with their sounding devotions, but with a genuine man, a genuine Christian. The Lord's ear is everything. And so the question we can ask ourselves this afternoon is, has this cry of David become your cry? Have you said to the Lord, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. If we can take these words in our mouth to the Lord, we can know that he will answer us in favor. But as we continue on in our psalm, notice this. Notice that David, as he's full of all this emotion, even while being in a place of coldness, doesn't stop with his first request to God. Look at verse 8. When thou saidst, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. You see, David David's ultimate desire wasn't just to hear back from the Lord in mercy. He wanted to be back, back in the favorable presence of God. Children, just think of that example. You're in the forest. You hear your your mom or your dad calling back to you. But what a wonderful thing. What a far, far more wonderful thing. Not just to hear their voice, but to throw yourself into their arms. Have them pick you up and know that you are safe. When thou said, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. And if we are a Christian today and we are far from God, what an encouragement these words of David are. To not just listen for the reply of God, but also to run towards God just like the prodigal son ran to the father, to to see him not standing there with folded arms, but standing there with arms wide open in the gospel, ready to receive us. What an encouragement to once again taste sweet communion with him. Maybe we ask the question, even though we hear this, we say, but what if I'm in this place of sin? I'm addicted to sin. I'm in a place of coldness. I I, I, I don't have any way to come back to God. How can I return from backsliding, maybe months, maybe years, of backsliding from God? How can I return back into the favorable presence of God? What right do I have? Look at verse 8. David gives us here, if I can put it to you this way, the secret to the backsliding Christian's re-entrance to God. The secret to the backsliding Christian's re entrance to God. And what is that secret? Not by bringing any of our own good deeds. That's not in there. But rather simply by throwing our whole weight upon the merciful invitation of God Himself. Not by bringing our filthy righteousnesses. That won't do. But by throwing our whole weight upon the merciful invitation of God himself. Look, look what David says. When thou saidst, when you said, seek my face. There's the invitation. My heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. That's David's foundation. That's his baseline. That, that's where he returns. That's where he stands when he needs to go back to God. On the fact that God has, in the gospel, invited him to return to himself. And friends, if David, the murderous, adulterous David, could could stand on this merciful invitation and return to the Lord, then so can we. We also can come to God in prayer and say, Lord, when you said, seek my face, in the gospel, my heart said unto you, your face, Lord, will I seek. We can do that. We have just as much right as David had. Children, it is interesting, in the older days, you simply were not allowed to come into the presence of some kings uninvited. Think of Queen Esther. She risked her life to come into the presence of, of the king uninvited. And it's actually the same in regards our God. We may not come into the presence of a holy and a just God who hates anything to do with sin without an invitation from God. It simply is not permissible. But we certainly may come holding in our hands the invitation of the gospel. Some of you remember that parable that Christ told of the master of the feast in Luke 14 when he invited all those wealthy guests to come and they all had their excuses and in his righteous anger he then sends out his servants to the highways and the byways the back alleys and he invites the down and outers to come and feast at his table put yourself for just a minute in the shoes of those people in a culture where shame and honor and ranking was far more important than our egalitarian society today. Think of how they would have come. Dressed in their stinky, smelly clothes, completely unfit for the feast of this great man. How would they have come? There was only one way to come and that was holding the invitation of the master of the feast. And that's how they came. They came holding the invitation. That's how they came and were dressed in the robes of righteousness. That's how they came and were seated at the table. That's how they came and ate with this great master. That's how they fellowshiped, communed with him. Not because they were something, but because they had the gospel invitation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the same is this case for us here today if we're honest, we know that our righteousnesses are nothing. We can't come to the Lord in our own righteousness. It simply won't do. But we can come holding the invitation of the gospel. Now, some of you are going to respond to this, I think, and say, well, that's all very well, but I don't have an invitation from God. I don't have a gospel invitation, so how can I come to God? But you see, friends, the whole testimony of Scripture is that wherever the gospel is preached, the invitation to come is given. Think about how Peter said it on his Pentecost sermon to the evil Christ-crucifying Jews, the stubborn, hard-hearted Jews who for generations had stoned the prophets who came to them. How did Peter say it? Repent and be baptized, some of you? No. Every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Or Isaiah 45. Look unto me and be you saved. All the ends of the earth, not some of the ends of the earth. All the ends of the earth. A comprehensive term. For I am God and there is none else. So this raises the question. The invitation just went to you. All ends of the earth. Every one of you. But how will you respond to that invitation? Will you take that invitation and throw it away in the garbage and say it's not for me? Or put it in a, in a drawer and close the drawer and put it away for another day. There's only one right way to receive the invitation of the gospel. And that is by doing what David does in our text. Coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, when thou said, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face is. Lord, will I seek. We can come to the Lord. Lord, I'm nothing in myself. I'm worse than the publican in in that story of the publican and the Pharisee. I'm even worse than him. But Lord, because of thy mercy's sake, receive me. Receive me, Lord. And he will receive us for the sake of Jesus Christ. Now, I know that still some of you will respond in this way. You will say, But regardless of all this, I'm too sinful. I'm far too defiled. Christ would turn me away. If I came to the gates of the great king, to our great God, and I came and I knocked upon the door and I said, Lord, I'm seeking your face, I'm too much of a sinner. I'm too hard hearted. The Lord will turn me away for sure. How can I come? even with this gospel invitation, how can I successfully come and enter into the presence of the King? The answer to that question is very simple. And that is that the gospel invitation that has been put in your hands this afternoon is not written in normal ink. The gospel invitation in your hand is written in nothing less than the blood ink of the sin-atoning death of the Lord Jesus Christ. When God sees that invitation, he cannot but let you in. He cannot but swing wide those doors and let the sinner in. He cannot but say, Welcome home, my child. You know the Lord Jesus Christ. You hold his gospel invitation. Welcome home. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. So our response, our response this afternoon, When God says to us, seek ye my face, when he commands us to seek his face, our response cannot be, well, I cannot do this because God doesn't mean it. He does mean it, and he proved it in the death of Jesus Christ. We cannot say, well, I cannot come because of my sin. The invitation you hold in your hand already accounts for that sin. You must rather say, in myself, I could never ever come for a thousand years. But because of Jesus Christ and by Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ, I will come, I must come. I have no other choice but to come with childlike faith to Jesus Christ and receive his salvation. The hymn puts it so well. And I will close with this. Just as I am without one plea, But that thy blood was shed for me. And that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come, just as I am. And waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot, to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come, I come, just as I am, though tossed about, with many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings and fears within without, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, thou wilt receive. Wilt welcome, pardon, cleanse, relief. Because thy promise I believe, O Lamb of God, I come. I come. Amen. Let's pray.